It is the Chicago First United audio podcast cover story series, featuring interviews with the premier talent in the Chicago music community who are making the lead stories this month at ChicagoFirstUnited.com. My name is Haima Black. This week, talking with Brendan Kelly of Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds in support of his band's debut album, I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever, in an interview recorded before the band's debut show at Beat Kitchen. Here's how that sounds. Hi, i Black here with Brendan Kelly of the Lawrence Arms and Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds. Uh, we are in the basement of Beat Kitchen just after soundcheck. How are you doing, sir? I'm feeling pretty good right now. Um, uh, you know, this is, this is going to be a weird thing. First show ever uh, for this band. It's been a long time since I've played a first show ever. So, <laughs> Yeah, how do you kind of prepare for that mindset of going into the first live show for a new band? I tell you what, man, it's uh... <laughs> going to make me sound like such a, like entitled dick but uh you know we got here and um traditionally the backstage here at the beat kitchen is upstairs and i've never i've only played here as a solo artist like just my me and an acoustic guitar but uh the backstage is always upstairs and it's really nice there's like a bar up there and there's a bunch of bathrooms and stuff like that and i guess they've started renting it out and so it's rented out for a private party tonight and we're down here in the basement in this backstage area which is by all accounts perfectly acceptable backstage area but i definitely showed up and i was like what what the fuck man we don't get the good room like and i'm like nope first show first show ever (laughs) no no demands (laughs) you can't be like you don't know what our tours were like in europe like what our conditions were we can't come back to this (laughs) right yeah exactly i mean yeah this is like literally two of the guys in this band have never played a show before like ever not just with this band but period so it's uh Man, I, I, I'm like uh, our drummer. We just our drummer is uh, Rob Kellenberger, who drummed for Slapstick and Tuesday, Colossal. He was in the Smoking Popes and Duvall, and uh, you know, really old friend of mine, and somebody that I've collaborated with a ton in the past. And uh, he's great. But we just brought him on board about a week and a half ago because the drummer that we thought we were going to have, we we just couldn't we couldn't uh, score him at, at the end of the day. So. We've got a drummer who's been on board for a week and a half, two guys that have never played a show, and me. I'm really not the most comfortable with being the uh, steady bulwark uh, cornerstone of, of, uh, of what's going to keep it together on stage. I'm much more comfortable being the, the wild card that may blow it for everyone. You know, that's, that, that's really where I shine. So th- th- this is <laughs> – how do I prepare for this? I don't know. I've never, I've never done anything like this before. It's going be, to be wild. We'll see. I think it's an interesting setup, and uh, you know, this is a new band. The debut record—it's uh, called "I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever," and that just came out a few weeks ago. So, you know, people have had a chance to hear it. Have you heard any kind of response? Like, how have people been reacting to it, or at least how have you seen that? The main reaction that I seem to see is like, "Oh wow, you did a record, and it's not just like this acoustic version of the songs you do." Like, I think people have been sort of hesitant to hear it because they think it's just another acoustic rehash, and I think that people assume and rightfully so that i wouldn't do that very well so so uh so you know like when people finally do hear it they're like oh you went with like full instrumentation and a band and it's really weird i mean a lot of people are reacting to the sort of subject matter on the record which is definitely not typical stuff that i'm known for writing or i don't i don't really think that there's too many records out there that really (laughs) examine this sort of subject matter that in my record sort of delves into so that's that's sort of something that uh i've heard people talk about but overall it seems to be positive man you know people people seem to like it i think it's personally 
the kind of record that I I don't want to call it a grower because that is kind of lame. I you shouldn't have to work to like a record, but <laughs> I think there's a lot in there. You know, I think uh, history will see it. Yeah, and favorably. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely got things going on that, that you know you're going to pick up on on subsequent listens. Absolutely. Uh, you know, something I was reading up on your feelings about the record. And, you know, some of your statements and things like that. And you were talking about how, you know, you kind of reached this comfort zone with the last couple Lawrence Arms records, what you were doing with Lawrence Arms. You were looking to do something that, you know, might take you out of that zone, make you a little bit more nervous or, you know, excited. Did this record end up kind of scratching that itch for you? Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's definitely, to say it's outside of my comfort zone is kind of an understatement. Like in every single aspect of it, it's like, uh, you know, even like just down to like the way I sing. That's, like, not the way I'm known for even singing. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, if anybody that comes to this record knowing me as a vocalist and they're like, well, at least I can rely on those, like, snotty, scratchy (laughs) vocals that I'm so, you know, used to hearing. It's like, well, you don't even get that here. So it's like, you know, this this was a real uh, house cleaning in terms of, like, my my sort of nervous energy. And, you know, like, I I definitely uh, tried to write some songs that would creep me out and that i would be like wow i don't i don't believe i'm about to sing this in front of people and you know aside i don't believe i'm about to sing this stuff in front of people because i've never done it before you know so it's uh it's crazy but i mean you know did it scratch my itch i don't know i like uh i just create so compulsively this was in order to get this project done that was what i needed to do but it didn't like uh you know now it's like now it's just the next step, and I, I, I don't know what the next record I'm going to do is going to be. Is it if I'm going to be more more comfortable in, uh, like, doing stuff that's, like, more um, traditional, less uh, about, you know, weird weird drugs and abductions and stuff like that, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I don't, but, you know, or maybe, or maybe this is just, like, uh, upping my tolerance, and the next record's going to have to be even, even weirder and creepier. I don't know. Well, you know, talking about expanding what you're doing and evolving it and all these things, like, how does the writing or recording process change for something like this versus maybe in Lawrence Arms, like what you're used to, or did it change? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a huge difference. For one thing, Lawrence Arms is like, uh, there's like a lot of apparatus that works. It's at work and at play when the Lawrence Arms records, you know, like like uh, the record label wants us to do it. We have a rehearsal space. We have a rehearsal schedule. They send us money so that we can sort of like get our recording done in a efficient manner. And, you know, every, I mean, like, it's this huge, like, machinery. You know what I mean? And this is just, like, my crazy fucking hobby. You know what I mean? So I'm doing it. Like, we were doing studio time. We were going in. I was putting my kids down to bed at 8 o'clock, driving over to the studio, recording till 5 in the morning, and then getting up with the kids at 6, you know, just because that was the only time I had to do it. I mean, you know, nobody wanted to hear this particularly. So, you know, we just had to do it when when we could and it it, like the process was crazy i mean you know matt allison who's our engineer who records you know also the lawrence arms and alkaline trio and menzingers and all sorts of you know all sorts of these bands uh you know he was like i don't think i'm gonna have time to mix this so i sent it to these two guys in colorado who've never mixed a record before ever and they're they're the ones who ended up mixing it you know and they they also produced like four four of the tracks on the record too so this was like nothing else i've ever done it was just like this crazy crazy process where Every song is like a different cast of characters, a different assembly going into it. And, you know, that's kind of why at the end of the day it ended up being me and the Wandering Birds because there was no single cohesive unit, you know. Uh, You know, I was reading a statement that came out 
um, I think it's like one of the press releases I got or something, you know, some information about the record. And there's a quote from you that stuck out to me. Uh, the quote is, lots of these songs are about feeling pretty trapped and caged and the way that the human brain twists and warps when it can't do what it wants. And I thought that that was a really interesting statement. Like, how did that kind of play into and materialize in this, you know, in this body of work? Well, I mean, you know, it's actually about as straightforward, I think, as it can be. Strangely, it's like I, um, you know, I, I grew up in, in, in Chicago. I grew up about a mile and a half from the Beat Kitchen, and uh, you know, I was never like uh, I wasn't wealthy or anything, but I, ne- I never like wondered where any of my food was coming from or anything right. like that. You know, by the time I was in high school, I was in a band that was popular enough to play a show in this area to like a thousand kids. You know, and I would, as soon as I got out of high school, I went on tour. I went to college. I toured through college. Then I got out of college, and I just started kept touring as my job and so like i mean i've lived a remarkably charmed life i guess is what i'm trying to say like i have always enjoyed a huge level of freedom and uh in the last like half decade you know i've had a kid and then another kid and (laughs) i mean shit is different man shit done changed (laughs) as they say it's like and it's not the same at all and it's like especially because i was just so spoiled before like this sort of like regimen that I have to be on in order to just like exist with my children or whatever. It just seems so like draconian and cruel, (laughs) you know, like, and I, uh, you know, these are the things that came out of me. It's like, you know, like suddenly I feel trapped and this is, (laughs) this is what came out of me. So it wasn't like a metaphorical thing. It was like very literal, you know, it's like, it's like I, I used, I used to run wild and free and now, I hate people that bitch about having kids, and I am not trying to bitch about having kids. Like, you know, everybody has kids. It's not a hard job. Suck it up, do it, whatever. It's just like it's very different from from the, the life I used to live. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but uh, I think that that's a common kind of theme, though, um, or way of not like a common way of thinking, but it's it's definitely something that's shared. Because wasn't there like some kind of punk rock documentary in the last few years where it talks to? punk rock fathers like i feel like tim from rise against was yeah, in that yep 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 it was uh it was called the other f word yes was, uh, yeah it was jim Lindbergh was uh had wrote a book called punk rock dad and that was like the impetus for that movie i actually know a lot about that because jim's a buddy of mine and he and i just happened to link up like right when that was all going down but uh but yeah i mean you know there there <laughs> there is like a push and pull that comes with like you know, people, people like, they, they sort of miss the mark when they talk about, like, what punk rock daddom is. It's like, you know, you're this anti-authority rebel dude. Now how do you, you know, how do you reconcile that with having to teach a person rules? And it's like, well, I still adhere to rules. I just <laughs> adhere to a totally different set of rules than maybe you do. But it's like, punk rock is as much entrenched in rules and hierarchies and authority figures as anything. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just... The rules are just different, you know? So that's not the the right question to ask. That's not where, like, the the crux of the uh, of the issue is when it comes to having kids. The crux is that anybody that's, like, involved in punk rock to the point where they can be, like, you know, Lars Moranson and tattoo skunks on their forehead, for fuck's sake, <laughs> has enjoyed this, like, level of, like, Peter Pan right. eternal youth for so long, you know? Like, none of us ever had to grow up at all. Like, we're all just, like, teenagers, you know? It's like, uh, and I mean, like, I'm not even that successful at this, you know? It's like a guy like fucking, you know, Lars from Rancid. It's like, 
That dude went from being like an 18-year-old kid that was like, hey, fuck this, and now he's like, he never had to change anything he did. Yeah. You know what I mean? He never had to, he never was like, oh, that shit doesn't fly anymore. Yeah. It was like. It's not like, oh, now I'm 25, got to go get the office job. Right, right. It's like, it's like shit just kept getting bigger and improving and improving. So it's like, you know, these, these punk rock dads are just like, are people that have enjoyed this incredible amount of freedom for so long and then all of a sudden you know kids kids don't fuck around man it's like (laughs) it's it's like a boot camp times a zillion you know like i remember the other day i was looking at my wife and i was like you know it was like sunday and we're like waking up at six in the morning because that's when the kids wake up and it was like this will never end it will never (laughs) ever end it's like it's like it doesn't matter how late you stay up it doesn't matter how bad you need it it doesn't matter what the fuck happened it's like Six o'clock in the morning. It's like, Daddy. (laughs) Your needs don't exist anymore. You know, and that's and that's great. You know, it's like I I love being a parent. I love being a caregiver, and you know, that's that's what you sign up for. You know, for sure. But it is. uh, I mean, there's only one kind of person that sits around and goes, "Oh, being a parent is a total joy," and that's assholes. (laughs) You know, so uh, (laughs) it's the pull quote from this interview. (laughs) Like. Because being a parent is, is hard fucking work, you know? Like, it, if, if you doubt me, think about what an asshole you were to your parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... That's why I don't have kids right now, man. I'm just like, why would I put myself through that? I remember. Totally. So, I mean, you know, it's like, I've, I've said this I've said this before, and, you know, I, I think it is worthy to make the distinction. It's like, I love being a dad. Being a dad is, like, the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. I love my kids. I love the fact that they look at me as, you know, their dad, you know, and uh, that is spectacular. But being a parent sucks ass. And it's a big difference. You know, parenting is like, eat your dinner, eat your dinner, get back in your chair. Get your finger out of your nose. Eat your dinner. Did you just poop in your pants? Stop saying that. Do not hit me. Do not hit your sister. Eat your dinner. Eat. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it really is like that, you know? That's parenting, and it sucks. When you can just sit around and be a dad when, you know, I'm sitting on the floor and my kid comes up and sits on my lap and goes, Dad, I love you, you know? That's awesome. I mean, that's like the best thing ever. No, that that is. That's super cool. <laughs> you, know, you know, but... You got to do both. <laughs> you know, one of the places that you have, you know, shared your thoughts on and children and a number of other topics is your website, Bad Sandwich Chronicles. And uh, there's a lot of writing, a lot of essays there. And I've been I've been reading that recently. I, I find it thoroughly entertaining. Very, very. It's going to sound like a strange compliment, but, but very readable. You know how sometimes people write mm-hmm. and you're just like, this is a task to get through. Super readable. Oh, that's great. You know. Thank you. And I was reading it and I was thinking like. This should be a book. Like, I mean, do you ever think about putting some of those essays together into kind of like a collected edition or? You, you know, what? Uh, it's come up before, but it, it always comes up like this where somebody goes, man, that should be a book. And it's like, yeah, man, that would be awesome. I would love it if it was a book. But, but, <laughs> but okay, first of all, there's like 800 pages, maybe more <laughs> of that thing, you know? So for me to sift through it and find, like, what parts of it would be a book would be a pretty Herculean task uh, just to just to do it. I mean, especially because it's, like, I mean, I write every one of those things in, like, 15 minutes in the morning. You know what I mean? It's, like, all the time I have. Just sit down, crank it out, and then go, you know, pull my daughter out of the toilet or, like, whatever the fuck she's been doing <laughs> while I've been sitting, sitting there ignoring her for 15 minutes. It's, like, I just don't physically have time. But the main thing is, you know, it comes up like this where it's, like, 
a friend of mine or in an interview or something like that would be like, man, that shit should be a book. It's never been like a guy from a publishing company saying, hey, that should be a book. Right. I mean, you know, the second, the second somebody like actually like someone with some money in their hand knew, knew, or just somebody that knew about books or knew somebody that had ever published a book sure. like and, and, you know anything just like hey i read books and i read this this could be a book it's just not quite enough i mean i'm waiting for that fucking that yeah. next step and you know you got to make your own luck I mean, that's yeah that's that's a universal truism but uh but it's just something i just don't uh i don't know how to make time for right now I mean, fuck, this is our first show, you know? Yeah. Like a- <laughs> How do you do Lawrence Arms, Wandering Birds, being a parent, you know, writing on the site and then writing a book? Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm trying to. And I also, like, I do all this, like, I do these movies. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been making movies lately, and that's something that I'm really interested in. And I kind of actually know some people in, like, the real deal, like, Hollywood world. So I, I've also noticed that, like, making a movie... You make just a dick ton more money than you do writing a book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> or being a musician, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah totally. So, uh, and, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to say it's all about the money or anything like that because it's, <laughs> I mean, if anybody knew me, like, I have no money. <laughs> you know, and I've never done anything for, for the uh, quest of the do- I mean, like, if my wife was here and was like, even heard me say the phrase, it's all about the money, she would probably just would walk out the door angry. <laughs> you know, because, I, I, I mean... Uh, you know, I don't even know how to like fucking balance a checkbook or yeah. cash, cash the checks I have. I, I I've never even fucking registered the Lawrence Arms for ASCAP. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, based on what I read now, it's like it might not be any point. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. But but I, I, I do I do have a, a great time uh, making these movies and stuff like that, and that's sort of like where my passion lies. If I could uh, if I could figure out how to turn that fucking blog into a book, I would do it in a second. But you know, something on the blog that. Uh, I thought was very interesting too, and it was pretty inescapable for a moment. Was you penned this response to Patrick Stump, of course, a former Fall Out Boy frontman. He posted an, an entry on his site a couple of weeks ago about you know some of the some of his views on his career, some of the hardships he was enduring, or, mm-hmm. and how he perceived people's perception of him. And then you posted a response, and later you kind of posted an update to that, talking about how all of a sudden all of these kind of like journalists, news sites, all these places that probably don't know who the Lawrence Arms are were suddenly paying attention to you. What was that like? Was it, how weird was that? Well, I mean, the whole thing was fucking super weird. It's like, you know, there's a, there's certain like hot button topics that I've come to realize that if I write about, and I mean, it's not like they come up all the time, but it's like when they do come up and I feel like I've got the authority to, not the authority, but I've got enough shit to say to fill up that space in 15 minutes. I know that if I write about it, it's like punk news will pick it up. And then, right. And that one was just like a, that was just crazy because it seems like punk news picked it up and then like absolute punk picked it up. And then like, it was just like all over the fucking place all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, like the, the most hits my blog had ever gotten quadrupled that day. And then the next day again, and the next day, and it was, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was weird. It's like, I don't fucking know Patrick Stump, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about him. And all of a sudden I was like, God, now I've like written this like uh, informed diatribe about like what Patrick Stump should do, and a lot of people are reading it, and I'm sure it's gotten back to him at this point. And and, and everybody's presenting it as you're defending him, you're coming to his rescue, you know, because he's being beaten up, and you're the one kind of like saving him or something like that. Right, but I mean that's not at all what I said. I mean that wasn't what the essay was about at all. It was just kind of like you know, I mean, 
It was pretty rambling, honestly. I mean, there wasn't like a clear like thesis statement, but it was it was a very it was a very weird thing because uh, you know eventually uh, Patrick did contact me and was stoked. He was he was good. You know, we had like a little tiny back and forth, and then uh, I actually it ended with me sending him a copy of the Wandering Birds record and him never writing me back. <laughs> so uh, you know. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, something else that I think is really exciting happening with you is the long-awaited Lawrence Arms 10th Anniversary DVD is finally coming out. This was shot in 2009 at Metro. It was your 10th anniversary performance that you guys did there. And it's finally seeing DVD release. And I know that people have been waiting a while for that. Is it true that that was partially held up by, like, an IRS audit or? No, no. It, well, no, not at all. Uh, the, the Lawrence Arms did get audited by the IRS, and that did have the effect of, slowing down what we what we did um just in general because getting audited by the irs is fucking scary and you don't you don't know all of a sudden it's like you know we go along we think we're like checking all the right boxes and being honest citizens or whatever and then the, the irs comes and audits us and all you hear about is like people going to jail and you know shit like that and i was like fuck can we even do this you know I mean, being in a band is kind of like to go back to what i was saying it's kind of like it's like peter pan existence where you don't ever have to grow right. up and all of a sudden to be like got the screws put to you for like some accounting procedures that you put into place when you were 18. Right. You know, you started the band and it's like it's never had to change. It gets scary. So it kind of froze the band for a while. But that's not what happened with the DVD. The DVD was all in the hands of this dude, the director of it, Travis, who's a great filmmaker, very smart and awesome guy. And when he asked, he first approached me about doing it, I told him, you can do this as long as I never, ever have to deal with it at all. You know, he was like, I want to get a seven-camera shoot in the Metro. And I was like, dude, great. Whatever you want to do, right. I'm trying to put on a good show here. I don't have time to care about this. If you want to do it, I love it. You have my blessing. But I just, I don't want to deal with it at all. You know, and I was like, uh, put it out. I will even give you the email address of the guys at FAT. I'm sure they'll want to do it. And I did. And, well, it turns out that, you know, I had to eventually get involved because Travis is a busy director. He, um has a lot of stuff going on and he's maybe not the most uh his business acumen in terms of negotiating things with record labels i mean he's it's just like an uncharted territory for him you know what i mean like he directs movies i mean this is all a very boring way of saying a lot of shit slipped through the cracks uh things came up it w- there's no real interesting reason that the dvd took so long but long story short man i had to do a lot i said i thought <laughs> i don't have to do anything at all and all of a sudden i had to do a ton of course because that's how these things work I, I really sound pretty fucking spoiled. <laughs> I um, had to send emails back and forth. <laughs> Don't they know who you are? <laughs> Why am I in the basement? You know, I don't even believe I'm doing this interview with my own mouth. I just, yeah. where, where is my talker? Oh my god, man! And I apologize. <laughs> um, you know, the new record. It's called. It's called I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever. It is out now. The new band is called Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds, man. And uh, and the Lawrence Arms DVD will be out this June. Um, and tonight is the first show, man. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. All of this has been really interesting. Uh, longtime fan of all of your work, too. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast thank today, man. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And thanks for, uh, thanks for the good questions and stuff. This has been the Chicago vs. United audio podcast cover story series. 
Thanks to Brendan Kelly of Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds for being on the show this week. Check out his group's new record, I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever, out now. You can find past episodes of the Chicagoverse United audio podcast at chicagoverseunited.com, including interviews with Intuit Over It, the Felix Culpa, Victorian Halls, and many, many more. You can follow the Dynasty Podcast Network through all social and digital media channels at dynastypodcast.tumblr.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descent.